Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The pop drop, the pop drop. Just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito. And welcome to episode 127, The Lost Episodes. This is part two of the Dean Ewan epic. But before we get to that, if you're on social media and you'd like to connect, please go down to the show notes, and there you will find links to the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for this program. Uh, it's X. I know it's X. I say Twitter all the time. I have people saying, isn't it X now? Isn't it X now? It's Twitter. It's always going to be Twitter. Uh, if Elon wants me to call it X, he's going to have to start monetizing things for me. It's Twitter. I, I don't like change, and um, it's Twitter. So those links are in the show notes. Also in the show notes, there is a link to a book called Islanders A to Z, written by Joe Buono and illustrated by Joe Marisich. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know already that Joe Marisich is the artist who drew the logo for this program. I love his art. And um, if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan or an Islanders fan, you've seen his art. You've seen his tunes all across social media. So you already know who Joe Marisich is. And if you're interested, Joe is available for hire. You can get at him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at loudegg.com. As I said, I'm a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. I believe the network is now over 100 shows. I saw a uh, a tweet or two over the last few days where I think they added a show or two. It might have been uh, an Ottawa Senators show, but uh, but I think it's now over 100 shows, which is pretty fucking impressive, if you ask me. Um, now... I am not the only fight-related program on this network. The OG is here. 
Darren, the Fourth Line Voice podcast, the original gangster. He is well over 300 episodes. Uh, and his latest episode, I listened to it today, uh, he had Ice Wars combatant Catlin Big Snake on. Now, if you don't watch Ice Wars, but Big Snake rings a bell, that's because his brother, Robin Big Snake, is... His older brother, I'm not going to call him his big brother because Catelyn is a huge, huge man. Uh, but if you're familiar with Robin Big Snake, Catelyn is his younger brother. And uh, I think the episode was about an hour, but really, really informative. And Catelyn was a really great guest. He was really into it. And and you can definitely tell when a guest is into it or not. And uh, I would recommend you checking out that episode and all of Darren's past episodes. Now to check out 300 plus episodes might take you a while. So, you know, cherry pick the ones you want to listen to first, then go back and listen to the other ones. But, uh, you know, his, uh, his back catalog is second to none. I've said it already twice over 300 episodes, the original gangster check out fourth line voice with Darren from Saskatoon, by the way, Saskatoon is where the blades play. Uh, I know there was some confusion, uh, <laughs> well, if you know, you know. I'm not going to go into it, but uh, but yeah, he's in uh, he's in Saskatchewan, so definitely check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast. Also, the Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. Uh, latest episode was Kelly Bent from the Wichita Thunder. I am anxiously awaiting the uh, results of the poll that he was taking, where he asked for people's top five ECHL fighters. I submitted my poll, uh, and I hope that uh, a lot of other people did, and I'm waiting to hear the results of that. And uh, finally, the Five in a Game podcast with Jordan. Uh, it's Today's the last day of August, and to be honest with you, it's a quarter to 12 at night, so September starts in 15 minutes. I'm hoping that at some point this fall, Jordan does get back to the Maritimes and puts out some fresh new content. In the meantime, though, definitely check out the back catalogs of the Five for Fighting podcast and the Five in a Game podcast. And please, between those two shows and the Fourth Line Voice, check out the corresponding YouTube channels for those three fine programs. Uh, subscribe to all of them. Follow them. Leave leave a review. All this stuff, this this these little things you can do to help us uh, small potato kind of guys. Uh, of course, on the network, the biggest potato is Terry Ryan, his show Tales with TR. Um, I listened to his new episode today. I believe he's in Buffalo, Ball Hockey Championships. And, um, you know, Terry just doesn't stick to hockey today. It was a lot of uh, astrology and astronomy. And um, and I love when he goes off on these tangents. I think uh, it, it's it's fun for me. You know, knowing Terry a little bit, I, I kind of know his personality and um, very little hockey today, to be honest, but the episode is very entertaining. So definitely check out Tales with TR as well. If you are a listener of any proportion, you know that I am a game used collector. Now, today I was fortunate enough to add a stick of Frankie the Animal by Lois. Uh, I had one previously. So for those of you who've known me quite a long time, there was a time back in the early 2000s where I had approximately 600 sticks from enforcers. And unfortunately, uh, some idiot T-boned my wife's car and totaled it, and uh, we needed a new car. So I had to liquidate a lot of the collection. And there are some sticks on there that still it still bugs me that I had to get rid of. And uh, Frankie's was one of them. And uh, when I saw the opportunity to snatch up, a Frankie by Lois stick. I absolutely did that. It arrived in the mail today 
and uh, and I love it. Uh, I got a Daryl Bootland twig on the way, and um, you know, just trying to build the collection back. I'm I'm almost at 160 again. So if you have any enforcer gear, be it sticks or gloves or helmets or jerseys that you're thinking about getting rid of, please let me know. Um, send me a message. Maybe it's something I'm interested in and maybe it's something we can work out. But like I said, today was a big day getting the old Frankie by a Lois twig. Of course, if you've seen Frankie play, you know, he doesn't even tape up his blades and, um, you know, it, it's just a thing of beauty, old, uh, two piece branches. It's fantastic. So if you're a stick nerd or a, a hockey gear nerd like me, uh, you understand why it was, it was a big deal for me to get this stick. I love Frankie and, uh, I'm happy to have one back in the collection here. So, like I said, if, if you have anything that you're thinking of parting with, um, for instance, today, you know, we're doing the lost episodes with my buddy, Dean Ewan. He's more than a buddy. He's my brother. Um, I know there's some Dean Ewan stuff out there. And um, I, unfortunately, knowing I know at least one of the collectors that has some stuff, uh, probably never going to see the light of day, which is uh, really unfortunate. But if you have any Dean Ewan uh, gear or know someone that does, that is a no brainer. I would definitely, definitely be interested in that. So please send me a message if you know. And um, as I mentioned, today we're going back to the Lost Episodes, part two of the Dean Ewan epic. I, I listened to part one, and uh, I think uh, he was fantastic. I mean, he, he's great. I mean, anyone that, uh, that played with Dean, if you listen to any of the interviews with guys that played with him, the one common theme is his giggle. He has the best giggle, which is so funny because he's basically an assassin, but uh, off the ice, just, you know, great guy and just personable. And, and we've had so many laughs over the years. And, uh, you know, just hearing the giggle in the interviews, it was a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm sure I haven't listened to this one yet, but I'm sure there are more giggles in this. But, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, this is one of my favorite interviews that I did. It was my first interview and not that I am, um, I don't know who is, who's the gold standard of, of interviewers. I mean, I know some people say Howard Stern, but I was never a Howard guy. Um, I don't know, Larry King, Phil, I don't know, whoever it is, whoever the gold standard of interviewers is, whether you think it's Joe Rogan or like I said, Larry King, I, I don't know. I'm certainly not them now. But I think I am a lot better now than I was back then. Uh, I I picked apart myself a lot in in these uh, these interviews. So uh, fortunately, uh, I think I don't know I don't know if tentative is the right word, but um, I'm I'm pretty happy with how far along I think I've come. And maybe it's just a matter of the diarrhea of the mouth and I just keep talking. I don't know. But uh, I definitely think there's a discernible difference in my approach to the interviews now uh, as there uh, was way back then. And, um, you know, but again, <laughs> you're not here to listen to me. Nobody is tuning in. To, maybe my mom, maybe my mom is tuning in to listen to me. But other than her, nobody's tuning in to listen to me, especially when I have the first ever guest of Coliseum Chronicles waiting for you right here. So uh, with that, uh, everybody out there, so it's uh, you're probably hearing this on Friday or Saturday. I hope you all have a safe, happy Labor Day weekend, nice long weekend. Enjoy it if you're off from work, uh, you know, spend time with friends and family and uh, and just enjoy it. 
above all, please, you people out there, please, please, please stay safe. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team can go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Before you listen to the episode, I just would like to tell you uh, one of the things I regret about the episode was that I really didn't get too far into the last two seasons of Dean's career uh, with Vegas and with Colorado because I really wanted to give him time to talk about uh, the untimely passing of his brother. So um, coming up in the future, maybe I'll have Dean back on and we can discuss the last two seasons of his career, uh, as long as uh, one or two other things that uh, I unfortunately forgot because I was so focused on, um, like I said, we needed to discuss Todd. So um, so I do apologize for that, for uh, fans of the IHL and uh, and the West, uh, West Coast League there. So, uh, you know, it might be something I can revisit in the future, but... Uh, I really appreciate Dean's time. Like I said, this is part two for a reason because we spoke for nearly four hours. So, uh, Dean, if you're listening to this, thank you very much. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'm proud of is that uh, Dean was uh, forthright enough to uh, speak to me regarding uh, Todd's passing and the circumstances surrounding it and the way that the media has covered it. And he, uh, before this, he hasn't really discussed it with anybody. So... Uh, without further ado, I'd like to bring you part two of episode one, the Dean Ewan epic. Enjoy, everybody. We pick up part two where we left off on part one, where Dean and I are discussing the fact that his Calder Cup ring has the date of his twin's birth on it and how that's a dilemma for him because when he passes away, he only has one ring, but he obviously has two twin boys and I so graciously offered to take the ring off his hands as to not create any controversy amongst his sons. Here we go. Yeah. So if, if it means that, and your kids are tough. I mean, you're, you had uh, the, the twins and Tony and they're tough. And the last thing I would want would be them fighting over a ring so, I mean, I would be more than happy to take it off your hands just to avoid any possible skirmish. 
So. <laughs> Anything big throwdown? Yeah, because they're good kids, and I, you know, if I have to take it, I will. <laughs> so. I'll put that down on the list. Sounds good. Now, 1990-91, you didn't play at all. Nope. What was that about? I had wrist surgery. I, uh, in a fight with, I think it was Bruce Shoebottom. Yeah. Was, uh, I injured my wrist, and back then, I mean, you were a fighter, no one really cared. Yeah. So I kept playing, and it was right before camp, and my wrist was all swollen. I can't remember, one of the scouts came by, because we were skating in, in Seattle, and he looked at me, and he goes, what's wrong with your wrist? I said, I don't know really hasn't healed from last year and they sent me to a doctor out there and they had to fuse three of the bones together in my wrist apparently I had uh, cracked one of them or whatever and I'd, since I'd kept playing all year three of them you have six bones that like your wrist move and three of them had come loose from the ligaments and they were rubbing together and became sharp and started cutting all the ligaments in my hand as well oh boy so they had to fuse it together. So I missed the whole year. Now, your hands for the job that you did are very important. And your wrists are connected to your hands. So you could be excused if you went into the next training camp being hesitant. Now you now you're you have a conundrum because you're you're coming off wrist surgery, but part of your job is to fight, but you know if you fight you could hurt your wrist again. And what we've discussed in the past is, is this where you started using your left hand more in your fights? Because you were never, you, you used your right mostly, you were never hesitant to use the left, but at a certain point in your career, you went left a lot more. Is this when that was? Yeah, it's uh, one of the things, I had a great doc, um, Charles Malone. Uh, he did a great job on my wrist. Uh, but one of the things he told me was if it got broken because I had pins and everything in there that if anything happened to that to stop it from healing or break it again they were just going to have to fuse more of the bones together and you only have six and I lost probably half of all the motion in my wrist so literally if I break it again I'm done yeah um, so I basically went into the next season having never really fought left-handed and had to fight the whole season just for myself left-handed and this this is the training camp where you fought louis debrusque four times and uh guy david maley at the coliseum we've already discussed that where he hit you a few times well he hit me a lot yeah but you didn't go down <laughs> you didn't go down uh, and Bailey's tough. I mean, let's. Uh, the guy's a Stanley Cup champion. He's had a lot of NHL fights. He's a tough guy. And if, and uh, you know, for those of you out there who may not know, uh, if you're a younger fan, he did he did play some games with the Islanders. Um, tough guy. He fought Louis DeBrusque four times. Uh, but maybe the highlight of that training camp was uh, I think you played a game for the Islanders in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Rob Ray dressed for that game too, right? Yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys uh, have a chat. Uh, I remember we were on the ice together once, and he was chirping me up pretty good. 
uh, you know, rookie guy from the minors, whatever. Uh, and I just looked at him. I said, "Your chiclets are two hundred dollars on my stick, baby." And we ended up fighting later, but that's not the best story. I mean, later, I think I I got ninety some minutes of penalties. Like I ran him, cross checked him from behind, kicked him when he was down, cross checked him in the face when he tried to stand up. Uh, then the linesman jumped in and. He grabbed my jersey and started throwing, and they both grabbed me. But he wasn't really hitting me. Then I spit on him and headbutt. <laughs> Something. Yeah. But that, the best about that game is I thought before I fought him, I was going to have to fight Brad May. Because they had uh, LaFontaine, McGillney, and Howard Chuck. And for some reason coach, I can't remember who was coaching that, puts out Rob DeMaio, I can see him, hell of a hockey player, Kerry Clark and myself. And while I'm stepping on the ice for the line change as the play is going on, I can see in the odd, this little tiny rink, Alexander McGillney picking up the puck, going Mach 5. Now I've stepped out from the player's bench and I'm flat-footed on the red line. I'm beaten. He hasn't even... <laughs> top of the circles yet and I know I'm done he's moving so fast and I'm flat footed it's over all I can try and do is turn my body and so I throw my stick on my shoulders and try and rotate to come so I can get turned around to try and pick up some speed somehow. well all of a sudden my stick stops and I'm standing there at center ice and Rob Ray's holding my stick on the bench and I'm looking at Rob Ray, and he's holding my stick, and he's saying something, and I can't really tell. All I know is that Alexander McGillney's coming Mach 5, and our stick, my stick is horizontal from their player's bench to the middle of the ice. Okay. Here, enough, here he comes, and McGillney takes it right in the chest, just loses it going all the way down the ice, and I'm thinking, oh, crap, here we go. Yeah. So the next face-off, I come out, and Brad May lines up next to me. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to call me out for that. And all he does, and I don't know him, he doesn't know me, and he just looks at me and goes, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, I mean, Brad is a great guy. I'm fortunate enough <laughs> to know him, too. And that was a young Brad May. He was probably a rookie Brad May at that point. So, yeah. uh, or second year, and, and he's a great guy, so... Uh, you know, that would have been a good fight, though, but uh, I'm happy that you guys didn't have to uh, punch each other in the face. He was a good player. He's a very good you know? player. He was a very good player. He's a tough guy. And I think for a few years, and, and uh, like I've gone on record saying I'm not a big fan of Rob Ray. I never was. I actually have more respect for him later in his career when he kept his jersey on. I thought he became a killer. But during those early years with Buffalo, when his jersey would come off, I, I don't think there was any question, in my opinion, uh, that Brad, I think, was tougher, the uh, better fighter than Rob. And I, I mentioned that to Brad once, and the one thing that Brad says, which which I can't argue with him, was it, he basically told me, it's okay if you think that I was tougher or the better fighter, but you have to look at who they fought. And Brad always says, Rob would take on the tougher guys. He would take on the heavyweights. And... You know, maybe not do as well as Brad did. Maybe take on the second, the second tier guys. And he said because Rob would fight the heavies, 
it allowed Brad to do what he could do. So I thought that made sense. I still don't really care for Rob, uh, but and I love Brad. So that's uh, that's my little soapbox on the Sabers at the time. <laughs> so, so now, yeah, no, I mean, we had that history. I I was not a big fan of, and I don't know him. He might be the nicest guy in the world. I yeah. just uh, playing against him, I didn't have a lot of use for Rob. I think but a I lot knew, of. I, I think a lot of guys felt that way about him at that point. To be honest, I think a lot of guys did. At that point, I don't think he was very popular. I think the jersey thing really bothered a lot of guys. And maybe some might say it's hypocritical because there were a lot of jersey alterations going on at the time with the Velcro sleeves and the tearaway stuff. And Dave Brown had the one, his left sleeve was real tight on his arm. So maybe some people find it hypocritical. But I know a lot of guys that didn't really care for him back then. Well, no one ever used it as... I mean, like, you go way back when, when you talk about guys like Glenn Cochran. Yeah. His whole thing was to... But he would... He would fight you until he got tied up and then try and come out of this jerk. Yeah. No one ever had the strategy of, I'm just going to immediately let you grab me and then come out of my jersey. I mean, I ran into that in the minors later on. Yeah. What does fix? Whatever it is. The guy for Detroit, the Vipers. Oh, uh, Craighead? Yeah. 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 Where, you know, and it, it, there's nothing you can do with that. Because mm. you're a meat, I mean, all you can do is just keep going. Yeah. But that was considered kind of cheap. If a guy had a tearaway jersey or something like that, I'd, you'll deal with that. Yeah. But uh, when a, a guy's whole premise is go ahead, like Bob Corbett used to come out of a jersey. But he would fight you up until that point. Right. If you started tying him up to where he couldn't throw with you, then he'd come up. You just can't, hey, here's my sleeves, take the shirt off. Yeah. Um, 91-92, you hurt yourself again, didn't you? Because you only played the first half of the year. Blue Yeah. Now, was that the year, was that, um... That wasn't the year that you're... No, I think it was the following year you had the possibility of getting called up. Was that the Alan Deeks year, or was that uh, the following year? That was the Alan Deeks year. Okay. Was, uh, yeah. It was in... It was in... Uh, was that Hamilton. Hamilton, right? Yep, Hamilton. It was Vancouver's farm team at the time. Uh, it was really the first time I had started to come back off the wrist injury. You know? Yeah. Um... And I came back, and I was playing. Uh, I was not fighting as much, but I was, I was playing more. I was getting some opportunities. Uh, and I remember uh, Burt Marshall came up to me before the game, and the Islanders weren't doing well. I think they wanted to go for a younger move. And he comes up to me and hands me a plane ticket. says, after this game with Hamilton, you're going up to the island, and you can be there the rest of the year. Show us what you can do. And I had a couple shots on that. I was playing a good game. I mean, I'm, I'm sky high right now. Uh, but it's a game, so you keep playing. You don't think, okay, I'm going to, you know, not play my game. And there was a completely innocent play. Uh, Elaine Deeks was skating up with the puck in the neutral zone. I came up just to bump him. I mean, it wasn't even a hit. I was just trying to pressure the puck. He dumps the puck. We kind of just bump. And my foot caught a uh, caught a group. 
and my leg went numb and I heard this massive pop. Now I remember I tried to stand up and uh, fell down, tried to stand up, fell down, tried it a third time, stood up on my one left leg, looked over and my right foot was at a 90 degree angle. I was like, oh, this isn't. Um, so then they got me off the ice. I remember Troy Gamble was the goaltender for the uh, Hamilton. Yeah, He was screaming, waving, and throwing stuff at our bench, and the refs trying to get them to stop the play. Because yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get to the bench, and I keep falling down. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe I just lost an edge. <laughs> Which was possible. <laughs> My legs might have just decided they weren't going to work. Yeah. Uh, so I remember they take me into the back room, uh, the trainer, you know it's bad when the trainer gets a gag reflex. One of the things they do to test your knee is the trainer places it, he puts his body on your knee, and he secures the top of your leg with one hand, and then grabs you by the ankle on the other, and they want to see if the ligaments are still there by how far they can bend it around their back. And because I'm in, basically I'm in shock. Yeah. Your, your body just shuts down. I mean, I'm awake, I'm lucid. I It just shuts down the, the pain receptacles in your leg. So he goes to do that, and he almost wraps my leg around his back, and he has a gag reflex, like he's going to... So I remember I'm sitting, I'm laying on this bench, and I'm like, oh, crap. I remember Burt Marshall. And back then you would, after you got changed, because you just had like a chair and some, you didn't have a lot of spaces to get dressed back then, you'd take your dress clothes that you had to wear and you'd hang them in a training room. My trench coat's right there. <clears throat> and he walks over and doesn't say a word to me, opens up my trench coat and takes the ticket out, looks at me, shakes his head, and leaves. Oh, that's brutal. I mean, it, it's a business. Yeah. Uh, at that point, I was crushed. Yeah, I, I was. I was done at that. Point. I was. That was hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. So now I've had the wrist, and now the knee, and it was uh, ACL, MCL, PCL, Bermuda Triangle. They basically had to reconstruct my whole knee. One thing. So, uh, one thing that I know, you know, knowing you for so long, you don't half-ass anything. When you get hurt, you really get hurt. You get hurt. You know, you don't tear one ligament. You tear them all. So, <laughs> go big or go home. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, you played with some pretty tough guys that year. Um, some of the guys you played with. One of the guys I want to talk about in particular, but let's let's run down some of your teammates. Uh, Dean Janelle, uh Rick Hayward, Wayne Doucette, not a heavyweight, but he didn't shy away from the physical play. Uh, Chizowski, uh, Chevy, uh, Dean Taborovic, which people will know later. He had an incident with uh, Jacques Mayotte uh, later, but uh, he was there. Um, Chris Pryor always seems to be there, good veteran guy. He played with Graham Townsend, a guy that I really like a lot, big, strong guy. While you guys were in Capital District, um, probably your biggest rival was Adirondack, right? Yes. And there were a couple of incidents with Graham and a couple of Adirondack players, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I don't know the exact players. I don't want to name... I mean... I well, one is okay. One guy, the guy that hit him 
the guy that hit him was Max Middendorf, and I know Max. And actually, I'm pretty sure the two of them have patched things up. I believe they're friends. I believe they've patched things up. I, I think, uh, I mean, you know Graham. Graham's a good guy and everything. And uh, I, I believe they're friends. Maybe not friends, at least Facebook friends or something like that. But I, I, I believe that they've, they've talked it out. That was the one where I think Max hit him with a stick in the face. Yeah, more, more than anything, what sticks out is what they said to him. Now, that was Gord Krupke. Yeah, that was that was when he lost his mind and went into their locker room. Yeah. yeah. You remember that? Do you remember the whole scene or what? Yeah, I mean, Townie just took his skates off and went into their locker room. Yeah, now, for people that don't know, Graham is a black, he's a black player born in Jamaica. Um he he would fight. He I don't know if he didn't enjoy it or it just he could he could play the game. But if he had to fight, he'd fight. Um, but he was a big man. He was a big, strong guy. Could probably do a lot of damage, especially when it, you know not on ice. You want to get him on the street. I mean, Graham is a big dude. Probably throw him pretty good. And now you throw in um, the the racial stuff. I'm sure he probably just saw red. Yeah, and. Uh... I mean, it's it's a sensitive subject, I guess. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, that's how him and I met. Uh, when he was playing for Providence. Okay. Was it Maine? Uh, yeah, Maine. Maine, yeah. yeah that's right. Mm -hmm. where, where we fought and I said something inappropriate to him. He asked me to meet him out in the parking lot. So I took my stuff off and I waited out by their team bus. Yeah. And then he ended up signing with us the next year. Mm -hmm. And I remember him and I had a talk where I apologized. And the only reason I'm saying this is because if I'm going to comment on the other stuff, I have to be honest about what I did. Right. And I apologized for saying it to him, but all I really wanted to do was fight. Yeah. And he knew that that I, it wasn't a personal thing. I was literally going to do anything I could do to get him to fight me again. Yeah. And there's no excuse for that, but that's... And then we became really good friends. Yeah, which I'm not surprised that. at. He's a, he's a great guy. You're a great guy, so it's totally not a surprise. Um, I think between Max and then Krupke, they took that to a personal level. And... You don't, have, you don't have to... I mean, you don't have to speculate on it. I mean, really, just you witnessed it, and you know it's especially nowadays. I mean, it's a different time nowadays than than it was back then. Not that it was ever acceptable, but it's 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 always been a sensitive topic. It's more sensitive now. Um, but I guess, uh, but I mean, it's it's worth it's worth dealing with. I mean, because that was the one thing about hockey, different than everything else, is they don't care if you're pink with purple polka dot. Yeah, if you can score fifty you're going to play. Yeah. Like, that was the hockey thing. It was, maybe it's that, that mentality that we all had, but the hockey culture was, no one cared. If you could play, you could play. That was it. Yeah. No one cared what color, no one cared any of that stuff. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. If you showed up and played, you were accepted. Mm -hmm. and, and he showed up and played all the time, and for someone to get personal like that was, was wrong. Yeah. So, I do they found 
when a big man came running into the locker room to clean, and I don't think anyone stood up to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to say something, and he's this giant guy that's pissed off, you know. But there was a, you did tell me a story about Graham, where you guys kind of um, you made him mad, and that's because I think weren't you guys you're on the bus, and you were kind of making fun of. A, a guy he loved, I think Cam Neely. Weren't you kind of making fun of Cam Neely, and he was kind of getting mad, like just you know fucking around? But you were, was it, was it you? I think it was you that was telling me that. Where if you wanted to wind him up, you could just make fun of Cam Neely, which is funny. Like you were saying, you guys are on a American Hockey League bus making fun of Cam Neely. You're not really making fun of him, but you knew it would it would wind him up pretty good. Especially after the sea bass and dumb, yeah, dumb. Exactly, exactly. But I guess <laughs> if you wanted to wind him up, you just had to start talking about Cam Neely. Yeah, he was a little sensitive. Yeah. Was a little sensitive. <laughs> well, you had, to, you had to have a thick skin. I, the, I know. I, uh, I've spoken to Graham about coming on. He's going to come on, and I can't wait. Um, I'll have Graham tell the story because I think he's told us both the story, but. Um, when Ken Baumgartner was an Islander and they were playing the Bruins, uh, Bomber just almost killed Craig Denny with a check. And Graham had fought him earlier in the game. And apparently there was a conversation in the locker room in between periods who was going to go and fight Bomber in the next period between Graham and Shane Stevenson. And uh, I think Shane was adamant that he wanted to fight him. And I guess Graham just said, okay, he's all yours. And then if you want to see what happened, that video is on YouTube also. But... Uh, that's a story I can't wait to uh, to talk to Graham about. So, uh, Graham's a, a great guy. I never got the credit as a player. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. You, your tenure with the Islanders, your contract ran out, and was it did they not want to resign you, or was it the injury? What happened there? No, they offered me a contract. But they offered you a contract. And I know um, there were a few other teams interested, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if I remember right, it was Anaheim, Philadelphia, and Florida, correct? Yeah. Okay. And did you feel it was time to move on? Is that why you ended up choosing Anaheim? Uh, actually, originally, and this is where I screwed up, um, Russ Farwell was now the general manager of Philadelphia. And he talked to me, and we talked back and forth. We bypassed agents and all that stuff. Even though I, I had a great agent, um, Gary Adler is his name. Uh, and we talked, and we tentatively agreed that I would go to Phil. Um, I said I was going to talk to my agent, and I was going to talk to my family, and I'll get back to them. Uh, but verbally, we had kind of agreed, uh, in principle. But I screwed up. This was this was a, a bad thing for me to do. But I remember I called Todd, who was in Anaheim, and actually no, he I had called and left a message and saying I was going to sign with Philly. And all of a sudden, Todd calls me, and they're getting ready to go play a hockey game. Like he's walking out for the national anthem. Because I'm still, my knee's gone. I'm, like, fresh out of surgery. Yeah. Um, so then he says that Jack Ferreira, their GM, wants to talk to me. And they offered me all kinds of money 
And it, then they flew me out and talked to me about signing with Anaheim. And I'm still, I have stitches in my I mean, I'm on crutches. And they wanted to sign me. And then I ended up signing with them. Uh, expansion team thought maybe I'd have a chance. Uh, I don't know. I think I kind of had worn out my welcome. Maybe it was just me being sensitive in in uh, in the island. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of guys. I remember one time I got when I was hurt with my wrist. I went up and I walked in the locker room because I had to go see the doctor. And the Islanders were getting ready to play. And Mick looks at me and goes, "Finally, I want some help. You guys up here to play?" And we're like, "No, go to see yeah. the doctor." Yeah, you know. Yeah. He did it. He did the job alone for a long time. There were times, obviously, where Bomber was here, and he had Bomber as a tag team partner, and uh, other times where Sevy was here and, and and other guys. But it was never a consistent thing where he had a he had a guy that either would ride shotgun to him or he rode shotgun too. So I could absolutely see his reaction. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's a hard like we talked earlier about. It's knowing every night you're the guy who has to do it. There's not going to be somebody else. No, one, no one's going to go fight their heavyweight so you can have a night off. Yeah. That Mick was going to have to do that. That's hard. Every uh, night. Every night. Every night. So I, 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 I don't know. I was, I was still trying to get adjusted to the, uh, to the pro game. Trying to figure out what I had to do to try and get there. And then, like I said, after I blew my knee out, and I was literally crushed when that happened when he pulled my plane ticket up. Yeah, that, I can't imagine. I can't even imagine that. that. Yeah, I was I was pretty broken. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it was time for a change. So, you signed with Anaheim and then later that year, you come back, you play with San Diego. I mean, on, on a, you know, on the surface, you signed with Anaheim, you ended up playing some time in San Diego. Had you signed with Philly, you would have played in Hershey, um, which I love Hershey. But weather-wise, it's probably not a bunch of places better to play than San Diego. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and on the bright side, you get called up from San Diego, you go into Anaheim. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot worse places to play, especially when you have young kids, too. So, I don't think anyone's going to blame you for that. And uh, that one we season... We the Sea World. Yeah, right up the road. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then at the time we were owned by the Ducks. Yeah. I hadn't played a game yet. I'm still at a surgery. I'm not even cleared to put skates on. And the Anaheim Ducks shut down Disneyland and had everyone just, they had it, they shut it down to the general public. And they had just the team, their family, and all the front office people. We had our run of Disneyland for the game. No lines, nothing. Are you kidding me? That's not that's not a bad how do you do. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> even here passes to Disneyland, I mean come on. Even if you don't have kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. So do you remember uh, your first fight with San Diego? Mm, I remember I was huge. You were huge. You fought Dodie Wood. That wasn't my first fight. With San Diego? Oh, I don't know. That's what the card says here. I could be wrong. Yeah, well, that's wrong. All right. Oh. Well, first, my first fight, uh, yeah, when I got cleared 
I think I only played like 20 games. I have you at 19 games and 45 penalty minutes. The one fight I wanted to talk about, you fought a guy named David Haas. In, uh, he was with Phoenix. And you did well. There was something I don't. There was something said in that fight because in the penalty box you seemed really pissed, and you were you're not. You know, a lot of times you just go to the box do your things, and sometimes you would talk. But in this fight, you seemed really angry. After obviously, it would have to be something extreme if you would remember it. But I mean, could it have just been the frustration and uh, you know, just you had these two major injuries so close together, and now you come back and. I don't know what it was, but you just seemed really pissed off after the fight. The fights, I remember the fight started, he did something cheap. Yeah. That's all I remember. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he took my legs while I was skating. You know, when you're back off a knee injury, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but, that'll do it. Yeah, like he poked the back of my leg or something. Because I was, I was monstrously big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, I was like... 265 at about 10% body fat. Like, yeah. I have been just... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. I, I, yeah, they had me working with some guy who, uh, uh, he was the, the personal trainer for the American Gladiators. There you go. So he had, yeah, he had me biking in sand, uh, pushing cars. So I would have been great at the American Gladiators, but I was way too big to play hockey. I, I was like a, a battleship in a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was no turn in that bad boy. Right <laughs> so. But I was, I was, I remember they did that. He poked me in the back of the face. Well, that would explain it. That's okay then. I think everyone will understand that. I think so. So the next okay. year, next year you went to camp with Anaheim, okay, and you're back in camp, and th- this is the first camp you had with the Ducks because you, you were injured. You came back, played with San Diego. You went to camp. It must have been cool going to camp with your brother, um, seeing your your jersey hanging in the locker room with his same, obviously the same name. Um, and I think you had, um, I know for sure, you had two fights in camp. I know you fought Stu at least once, and I know you fought Kevin Sawyer. Did you fight anyone else? No. Okay. No. No, so, I remember. I remember those. Uh, <laughs> the Kevin Sawyer one was funny because uh, all I knew about Kevin was that he was the all-time penalty minute leader from Spokane or something like that. Like yeah. he was Western Hockey Cup guy. So I remember we're fighting, and I I was starting to hit him a little bit, and the linesman jumped in. And one of the linesmen goes, ease up, Todd, ease up. And all I hear from the bottom of the pile is him, is Kevin go, that's Dean. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's looking out for your best interest. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. But they had, told us, they had told us beforehand they didn't want anybody fighting in camp. Okay. Nope. You were supposed to fight in camp. If you wanted to fight, you could fight in the exhibition against other teams. Yeah. So I remember uh, Stu was kind of pushing and shoving with someone, and I skated over, and all I'm thinking is don't fight camp. Yeah. And I just, as I start skating towards him, I kind of bump him. I go, hey, Stu. And he just starts punching me in the face. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess Stu, Stu could get away with certain things in camp, I guess. I'm like, 
whatever happened to don't fight in camp? <laughs> yeah. And he came over to me after, and he goes, there's my buddy, and we're sitting in the locker room, and I go, dude, <laughs> I was skating over to, to, like, talk shit with you, and you punched me in the face? <laughs> there's my buddy. God. Imagine if you weren't his buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know, I know that you were supposed to play, there was a game on TV for the Ducks in the exhibition against Boston. It was on TV in Boston, I believe, on this. And you were supposed to play that game, but you got the flu. Is that right? I got bronchial pneumonia. Yeah, you got. You were really sick. It wasn't like Len Barry I, getting the I flu. Was, I was quarantined. Yeah. That was the end of my camp. Yeah. That was it. That was I remember the end. that. I remember that. That was horrible. Yeah, I was done. That I was actually there. You know, normally when you come to camp and you have some football number, you know, yeah. I'm number 62, 45, you know, 48, yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. I was number 15. So that you walk in and you can kind of tell if you've got a chance to make the team. Yeah. What your number is. Mm -hmm. And I still have 15. I said, they're going to give me a chance to make this team. And then I got the room killed in the middle. So you ended up in San Diego. Yep. There was a game in Kansas City where you and Doty had an incident, but more so than, than anything that you and Doty did, uh, there was something that happened behind the San Diego bench with the fans. Yeah, when uh, they started throwing pop and popcorn on our coaches. Yeah, and you didn't like that. No, and no. We have now Memorial Glass in Kansas City that's way higher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, so that was during the lockout. So you guys were on TV a few times. Uh, you played a game on e uh, against Vegas against ES uh, on ESPN two. And the guy that you later played with was Jim Kite. I guess he had enough of you uh, tormenting Radic Bonk the whole game. And, <laughs> you know. So now Radic Bonk was, uh, I don't know if, I guess he wasn't drafted at that point, but he was going to be drafted. He was a name. And so, was that something you specifically, you went at, you figured, this is a name guy, I'm going to I'm gonna torment this guy, and then if something happens with a guy like Jim Kite, so be it. Was that something that you had planned, or it just happened in the game? It just happened in the game. He was, uh, look, he was a good hockey player. But he was cheap. Um, a lot of stick work. Um, he would sometimes he he jump guys that were goal scorers. Like he'd jump a goal scorer. Like, Come on. Um, but he was and he would hide behind Jim all the time. Yeah. And we had a we had a pretty tough team. But I just I just I did I didn't like. Yeah, I didn't like that if you played that. I mean, play the game. You can hit anybody. Just you got to answer for what you do. If I go and I and I like the stupid stuff that happens now, you, no one answers for anything. Yeah. You know, um, you know who actually not that you needed anyone to speak up for you, but you know who spoke up for you during that game was the announcer Bill Clement, who was doing the game for ESPN two, former Flyer, and. Um, he even said, he goes, you know, Bonk's a guy who chirps and he does stupid stuff and that you probably had just had enough of it. Yeah. So yeah, I and it was... It, it, I remember every time we played them, even in those games, 
even in the one that was televised, I wasn't the only one. Yeah. It wasn't like I was the only... I mean, everyone had had enough of it. Yeah. You know, uh, enough already. If you're going to play that way, you have to answer to somebody. And he wasn't going to answer to any of the guys. Like, you know, if he wants to fight another goal scorer, go ahead. Yeah. Do it right. Square it up and, and go. Answer for what you're going to do. But then, you know, a bunch of the guys who fight a little bit more had had enough. Like, you can't go up and spear Robin Bala and, and say, well, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. He's going to come. Yeah. So, I know you're a professional. I know you're a grown man. But, it had to be pretty cool when you put Tim Breslin of the Wolves through the glass with a check. <laughs> I mean, you could play it off, but... It's just something you don't see that often. And you hit, you, and listen, I understand this. I'm sure there's physics involved with maybe the way the glass was put in and, and force times mass, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The fact is you hit a guy and the glass came out. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I'll admit it was. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think that would happen. More interesting was no one did anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, they waited until next year when you were in Kansas City and you fought Al Secord twice. I, I, don't, th- I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't like him that much. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's been what happened. Yeah, I was standing right there. I mean, I, it wasn't my intent. My intent was just to finish the check. Yeah. And, it was, and you did. If I would have known the glass was going to break, I would have grabbed some popcorn. Yeah, well, you could have, I'm sure, I'm sure. Make sure everyone's okay first and grab some popcorn. Yeah, there you go. You can always be a snack. <laughs> so the season ends, and um, you signed with Kansas City, um, but you went to Sharks camp, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, because Kansas City was the Sharks one. But you were not Sharks property. You were Kansas City property, but I guess, what did they have, everybody go to Sharks camp to begin with? Yeah, because you have to have guys to fill your camp up. Okay. And you don't want to put a, you know, because there was a bunch of us who were just signed. We knew we were going down. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, but you need that many to have the number of teams that you need to have your, your camp. So. So in, in a case like that, normally, and this is the first time that you were not, you were not property of an NHL club. So, in a case like that, you're signed to the IHL team, but an NHL camp. Was there any chance of pressing the Sharks brass where you could have maybe made the team? I don't know. I was actually having fun. Yeah. Like, uh, I think I was still getting over and trying to find out what I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had so many. And, and by now, my hands are starting to fall apart constantly having problems with my thumbs um I, I mean i broke each hand oh i don't even know what 18 on my right hand 12 on my left so my i mean my body's just starting to break down so i go to the camp and i remember we're doing the physical testing and they asked me to do the bench press and i said well i got a bad shoulder yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, and and they got you know they got guys like Dave Brown's there and all these other guys. So I'm just figuring I'm going to go play. It's ice time, you know. Yeah, and I'm actually doing well. I'm getting points, scoring goals, I'm having fun, 
And then, uh, but there's guys there who were seriously trying to make the club. So Jim Wiley comes up to me and says, well, you can fight one of these fighters here. And I said, well, if I beat him, do I get his contract? He goes, well, I can't guarantee you that. I said, then my gloves aren't coming off. Yeah. Yeah. If you want me to play, I'm on an, I'm on an IHL contract. If you think I'm playing well enough that I would have a shot, if I beat that guy up, do I get his contract? Yeah. And he couldn't guarantee me that, so I didn't fight anybody. There you go. Well, in a way it was good because then we got your, um, I don't know if it was your first fight with the Blades in the exhibition, but it was the first one I had seen. Uh, you played against the Rivermen, and you ran into a gentleman named Eric Fenton. Now oh. you, for the most part, you, you play within the rules. I mean, maybe not with Rob Ray, let's say. You're, you're uh, an honest fighter. What was it about Eric Fenton that made you do what you did? He would do everything humanly possible to get under your skin and never fight. He was Radic Bonk times 10. Wow. And he was a big guy. Yeah. Like, I think he was bigger than I was. Okay. And he was a big guy. And, like, he'd stick his tongue out at you. He'd blow kisses. He'd just stuff to irritate the hell out of him. And then when eventually I did get him to drop the gloves, he would just hold on. Yeah. And so I headbutt. You, uh, I got to tell you, I've seen headbutts. That headbutt was pretty good. I mean, as far as <laughs> as far as headbutts go, that was a pretty good one. No, it wasn't because I hit him with my face and I cut my own nose. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't say, well, all right. The execution maybe wasn't what you had hoped for, but in terms of the damage, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, I remember when you, and by the way, everyone out there that ever got the Kansas City uh, fight tapes from me, that was all Dean. Dean was nice enough to send me those games, so so we all owe him a debt here uh, for getting that footage out there. But I remember when you sent me a game, I was like, oh, and you, you had told me about it beforehand so I was waiting to see it and I couldn't believe it when I saw it I was like oh my goodness and like I said you know you're not a, you, you never were a dirty player and you always were honorable and everything and when you had told me what happened and when I saw it I'm like yeah he really did piss him off because that's kind of out of character so uh, but we'll get to something later on where it wasn't the last time you ran into him um, no but you're making me sound like some kind of nutcase I, I, I was an honest guy. You were an honest guy, but you snapped, and that's okay. Ah, uh, well. Okay. Now, I <laughs> think we, we touched on it earlier. So, again, we say that you grew up as a hockey fan. You obviously grew up and uh, saw some Blackhawk games, and you watched a guy named Al Secord, and now you find yourself playing against him when he comes back and plays with the Chicago Wolves. And... Um, What's what is that like? I mean, uh, obviously you're look you're you're both professors, but here's a guy Al Secord and he's you know, Bruins games and uh, Blackhawks. Now you're playing against him. So, um, what what is there any thought process with I want to fight this guy or if he comes at me like like how does that work? Where maybe if uh, it was Al Secord with zero NHL games, is there any difference? No, I mean I knew I knew. I knew who he was, and I knew that he fought. 
Um, I knew that he fought the NHL quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I didn't rare. I, I rarely, I think, went out of my way looking to fight someone yeah. like that. Um, we just kind of the first time we just kind of bumped and started talking, and then we squared off. Uh, the second fight pissed me off. The the first one was just because I think I. I knew he was a southpaw, so it was easy to string him out. Um, then we just kind of fell to the ground, but I wasn't, you know, I've been hit harder, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, the second one pissed me off, because that one, he went, you remember, we, we went to where they made it in junior. You didn't used to have to wear visor. Mm -hmm. And halfway through my first year, it became mandatory to wear a half shield. So that's when you started seeing guys, instead of just the bump, bump, start throwing punches, guys would start to square off. Yeah. So I've been around long enough to where most of the fighters are all used to taking their helmets off and squaring off. You know, I look at you, you look at me, we nod, we know we're going to fight, let's go. Yeah. And it's fair. You, let's see who's tougher. Let's see who's the better fighter. Um... The second one, we just bumped, and he just dropped his gloves and started throwing. And I, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, because I, I wasn't planning on fighting him again. And the next thing I know, I'm getting punched in the head. Mm -hmm. I was pissed off. You, you mentioned how, you know, uh, you went to camp with the Sharks, and your body's falling apart and this and that. I don't know if you realize, you managed to have over 20 fights that year with uh, Kansas City, including the uh, exhibition and playoffs. Now, yeah. yeah. Now, do you remember who your fight, your last fight of the year was against in the playoffs? Mike McWilliam. Yeah, so uh, obviously we're both friends with him. I'm obviously friends with him through you. Um, how did that come about? Because, uh, you know, some guys have an issue fighting friends and... Uh, uh, I, obviously, you guys, uh, someone had to instigate that fight. How did that go? Well, let, I have to give you a backstory. Normally, you never do this. Mm -hmm. But we had probably the greatest fake fight ever during the regular season. Okay. Everyone on both teams knew we were friends. And uh, I, Mac went after one of our D-men and gave him a two-hander or something like that. And it was a, really a calm game. And I went out to him, and we dropped the gloves, because you have to do it. I mean, both teams are expecting it. Yeah. <clears throat> and we lock up, and I go, okay, rights or lefts? And he goes, rights. <laughs> so, <laughs> throwing haymaker. I mean, we're missing by... And the funny thing was, we squared off first. Yeah. And we're thinking, and everyone knows we're fighting. Yeah. And... The refs are are getting ready to jump in, and the line and the I mean the linesmen are, and the ref comes over and goes, "No, I want to see this one." <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so we start throwing these. I mean, we're not even remotely close to hitting each other, and then we're trying to figure out which way we're going to fall to the ice. And but that was in the regular season. Yeah. Now we're playing. It's in the play. And they get a shot on that. Max playing well for them. Uh, our nemesis was that Utah team. Yeah. They just 
they killed us. So everyone comes in, we start pushing and shoving. I grab him, he grabs me, and he goes, this is real? And I said, absolutely. Yeah. And then we just went out. I wondered. I mean, it's, 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 he's playing hard, I'm playing hard. It, that one was real. He, your demeanor never changed if you watch the video. And it seems like, it, maybe it's when he asked you if it was real or not. Because it seemed like at a certain point, he just looked like he got mad. And not necessarily mad like, uh, uh, like mad at you, but like, okay, it's real. And maybe when you say that now, now it makes sense. Because it seems like if you watch the video of it, there's a certain point where it's like he get got real serious. So Well, he didn't, I mean, I don't think you can see it, but I guess I'm doing it an injustice. He wasn't asking if it was real. Oh, okay. That that wasn't a question. It was oh. this real. Oh, okay. It, okay. It was like a mutual. Like we're not dicking around here. This is playoffs. Okay. But there was nothing personal about it. it was, yeah. That was a real fight. Yeah. So, over the years, I, I mean, I I really consider myself lucky because uh, being your friend for so long, where I, I really feel like I've got to live your career with you basically from capital district on where you know through phone calls and visits and things like that I, I, for someone like me um it really has been a treat and uh, i've met a lot of guys through you and one of the guys i met uh, through you who unfortunately passed away in a car accident i i was able to meet jeff batters when i went to uh, visit you in kansas city and i was only around him i think for two days uh, but what you know, like uh, like we talked about Pat LaFontaine earlier, like Jeff Batters, like he didn't know me from Adam. All he knew was that I was your friend. Uh, what a what a terrific guy! And I'll never forget reading in the paper that uh, that he had passed away. And then I, I remember calling you and seeing if you had heard about it. Uh, that's a real tragedy. What happened to Jeff? Yes, one of the great guys who's not around. Um, he left a positive influence on everybody. Yeah. I mean, when we were in Kansas City, he was real good friends with, the, you know, Jeff Circa. Yeah. And uh, another tough guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would have to grab our stuff from Kemper Arena and drive to the, uh, the practice facility. Well, they would drive together, and Kirk would drive, and then he, Bats would put duct tape around his mouth, around his <laughs> own mouth. <laughs> and tape his hands up and they'd stop at lights and Bats would bang his head against the window trying to say, help me, oh, God. help me and, and like he was being kidnapped by Circa. Holy shit, that's hilarious. <laughs> that is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I, like I said, you know him, you played a season with him, but I know I'm always grateful that, uh, that I got to meet him through you because like you say, he was just such a nice guy and, uh, you know, just, just a, just a great man, and it's really unfortunate what happened. Yeah, it's, it's a, a tragic story that we hear way too often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, the band will never die. Yeah, oh, OJ's still around, but uh, what do you say about that? But we're looking for the killer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He must be a golfer, I guess. But uh, yeah. so, so next year. Next year, and, uh, and thank you, we've been talking now for, I think, 17 hours, so I really appreciate you sticking with me here. Um, sure, I don't only got to get up before. Yeah, all right, so we'll just talk till then, but, uh, <laughs> you know. 
So, all right, so we'll, we'll talk about, because we got to get to some serious stuff, so I'll try to cut this down a little bit. Um, the next year, there's two fights I want to talk about and, um, and a guy, the two guys that you played with. So you had a great fight with Jacques Mayotte, uh, who was with Utah at the time. You remember that fight? Yeah, I was exhausted. I got, I've never been tired from hitting something. Yeah, and, and Jacques is a guy, I mean, Jacques tough. Like, everyone knows his resume. He's fought everybody. Uh, you know, mo again, talking about, like, Serge, uh, minor league legend. Jacques's a tough player. Um, and, you know, didn't you say after the fight, after the game, or was it right there on the ice, he, he wanted to ask you a question? Yeah, he wanted to know if I respected him. And what'd you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely right, you know. But that was some fight. He he stood there. He did it the way you're supposed to. You know, we were both fresh. We bumped, wanted to fight. We dropped our gloves face-to-face, -face, and away we went. Um, he's strong. Yeah. Um, I just, I've never been tired from hitting something. I mean, I, I landed flush, and he just stood there. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough man. Uh, yeah, I mean, he asked me, he goes, I just want to make sure you respect me. I said, Absolutely. Yeah, how could you not, right? Yeah. You know, anyone who's willing to do it the right way, I'll have respect for. Yeah. And, and I think most will. Mm -hmm. okay? If you break the code, that's when you get in trouble. So, on the flip side of that, and, and not, it may not be a, I think at the, in the moment maybe you didn't have a ton of respect, but you fought a guy, Dave Marset. In uh, you fought, he was with Houston at the time, and I think he got the jump on you early, and you recovered, and uh, you did pretty well. But after the fight, it was actually pretty funny. Uh, it actually looks like you're scolding him, like like you did me that time at the Marriott about Dave Maley. Uh, you're pointing your finger at him, and uh, you're saying something to him. Do you remember the conversation? Yeah, I gave you five free punches, and you still got your ass kicked. <laughs> okay. That wasn't the first time I fought him. I fought him a punch. Where? Uh, heck. I beat him up a number of times. Was it was uh, American League? Or IHL? IHL. Oh, Minnesota? When it was with Houston, and I don't—I think it was all in Minnesota. Whether it was an exhibition, and I fought him in Houston a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that was—I see. We talked about it. that's. He bumped. I was locked up in a corner. I mean, my back's to him, and he drops his gloves and he starts to roam. Yeah. I tried to go left to right with him. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't really hitting me, but, I mean, I couldn't get anything, and then I remember I caught him with one big right, and that pretty much was the downfall of the fight for him. Yeah. But that, that was what I told him. I said, you got five. And I, I had taken a stick in the face, so I had a cut on my nose, and he was screaming something about he cut me, and I said, you didn't cut me. <laughs> I said, I gave you five, three, one, and you still lost. <laughs> I apologize because that sounds like I'm tooting my horn, but it's not. That's that's the stuff I didn't like. I didn't, I didn't yeah. like that dumping stuff. Well, I know um, 
like I uh, like I said earlier, when uh, I want to talk to Grant Townsend a few things about a few things, I know when I get Dean Chenault on the show, he has his Dave Marset story that's actually pretty funny too. So people will have to stay tuned for that. Um, that year in Kansas City, what's that? Yeah, I know both of them for me. I will. I told for sure, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm a conduit. I, I uh, build bridges. <laughs> You had a defenseman on that team in Kansas City that I know you took a liking to, Sean Hines. Tell me about Heinze. Uh, Heinze. Most people don't know, when he was 20 years old, he told me, when he finished his last year junior, he was like 5'11". Then he hit a growth spurt. So he became like 6'3", 6'4", 250. Uh, good young kid. Uh, great shot. He was actually... He broke all the harder shot records in the minors yeah. for their all-star. Um, he signed with the Sharks, I think, after a while. Uh, had, what, 20 goals and 300 minutes or something like that uh, in the minors, but never got a shot in the NHL, and he could have played. He played a few Should've. games. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a cup of coffee here and there, but not a substantial amount. Yeah, he was the kind of guy that that you'd see what he did over the course of the season. Yeah, you no, know? super nice. And he he broke those records with wooden sticks, not the composites or anything. He used uh, I think he used the old Bauer Supreme, if I'm not mistaken. So he used he yeah. actually used the wooden stuff, not the uh, the stuff made in the lab. Yeah, he was, and he was hitting like 112. He like he broke. I mean, he was up there. I don't know if he hit that much, but you would know. You saw him every day. Well, he was—he used to do this thing where even a snapshot was scary. Yeah. He used to practice at one end of the ice, pulling the puck out from behind the net and snapping it off the crossbar at the far end. Is that right? Yeah. He'd take a snapshot and lob it all the way down, try and he'd hit the crossbar. Wow. I I, I couldn't get it to the red line. <laughs> so <laughs> a, a, another guy you played with, and we've touched on him already, and I'm bringing him up because I, I love the guy. He's kind of a goofball, and I know he respects you a ton. Uh, Darren Kimball. What what is uh, what was it like playing with a guy like Kimball? Because you played with him in junior, and now you play with him, and he had already done what he did with with Quebec, uh, you know, and, and uh, Boston and those uh, and Chicago and the teams he played with, and now you're playing with him in Kansas City. Um, and, and from what I know of Kimby, he's very down to earth and everything, and it had to be fun playing with a guy like that. Yeah, Kimby's great. Yeah. I mean, we got on. Uh, we unfortunately, our coach didn't like to put us in the lineup at the same time. Was I that mean, uh, Don Jackson? Yeah. Uh, no, it was uh, McLean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He uh, he didn't like to put us in the lineup at the same time. He'd like he'd play you until you kind of lost a fight. Okay. And then he'd put, put the other guy. And a couple times we got to play together. I know when we had that brawl against Winnipeg, we did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> oh, the dogs yeah. are back. Yeah. What's that? I said it sounds like the dogs are back. Yeah, yeah, someone's, someone's touching the door, so the pit bulls are going crazy. <laughs> oh, shocker, pit bulls. They're, they're nanny dogs. I'm surprised you don't have poodles. No, we used to have Yorkies. Mm. They're, they're so, the meanest dog ever. The smaller the dog, the meaner the dog. 
Yeah, but like Chihuahuas are just bluffs. They got the bark, but they're bluffs. Yeah. Well, you remember Kahlua, that little Yorkie? She was mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. I'm sure the pit bulls are fine. I'll meet them one day. Hopefully they don't eat my arm. Well, be nice. <laughs> I'm sure I will. So speaking of being nice, look at how I'm so good at the segue. But next season, you played um, Indianapolis, and you had a fight with Steve McLaren. I think you had two fights with him. And if I remember correctly, uh, did he do something to Darcy Simon? That, uh, and, that, and we talked about Darcy a little bit with Seattle, where he's a pretty well-respected guy, good guy and everything. And um, I think some people were kind of pissed at McLaren. Was it a dirty hit or something? Do you remember that? I think he suckered. Okay. He, he, I think Darcy was playing for Grand Rapids at that time. Yes. And word around that uh, it was by their bench or something like that, and Darcy wasn't going to fight. Mm-hmm. And he was just skating away, and McLaren, I just I KO'd him, just suckered. Which is, I mean, Darcy was a he was a tough guy. Yeah. So you, you don't sucker a tough. Guy. Yeah. I, I don't think. It's out of character, though. A guy like McLaren doesn't didn't need to do that. I mean, he's uh, I mean, he's a tough guy and everything. Especially, really came into his own with the uh, the Phantoms, and then got a game or two, I think, with St. Louis. So, but maybe he played on the edge and. Um, but, uh, but I had to ask you about that because I remember us talking about that where I think he had done something to Darcy. So I'm glad you uh, jogged my memory there. Well, yeah, and it was, uh, like you said, it was out of, he didn't need to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a legitimate tough guy. And, I mean, to be honest, I have no idea if Darcy did anything to him. I don't know what led up. Right. I mean, we talked about a number of the really dumb stuff I did. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know why he did it. Maybe Darcy said said something or did something that caused it. But all we got was that he suffered. So, I got you. Did you play in the game in Quebec uh, where Dale DeGray jumped into the Blades bench? Yeah. What was that about? Uh, something happened between him and Chizer. Okay. Uh, Dave Chizowski. Okay. And, uh... Whatchamacallit, he was leaving the ice. He had had a cut or something. And he just dove into our bench. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the first player. And then Dean Chanel's going. Oh, yeah, because he was in Quebec at the time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, that year, you had a very busy year against Milwaukee. You fought your old buddy, Kerry Clark, three times. And um, you ran into Eric Fenton again. Do you remember what happened there? Uh, is this the one with the locker room? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we were playing in a game, and it's a it's a two one hockey game in the third period, and it's a really good hockey. Game. I mean, and both teams needed it later in the season, and I line up for a face off because I'm actually getting to play, and you know you're enjoying the chance of getting to play. And he lines up next to me and sticks his tongue up and starts screaming, like, come on, you, do something stupid. And so I bite my tongue, and I let it go, and we just keep playing. Well, the game ends, and they win 2-1. And 
when you come out in Kansas City, you both benches are on the same side. You go underneath the stands, and then they have security guards and partitions so the players don't see each other. Well, I can hear him on the other side, and I can see his feet, and he's dancing. And he's saying bad things about me. Um, so I decided I was going to go talk to him about that. <laughs> well, that's a very diplomatic way of saying it. So I remember I, I, I pushed past the security guard, knocked uh, the partition out of the way, and I hang a left, and I'm now I'm looking in their locker room, and he's the first one in there. So his whole team's behind him, and he's doing some kind of dance. And then he turns around and sees me coming, and he, he fakes like he's going to throw a punch, and then he tries to tackle me. Mm -hmm. Well, I just kneed him in the face lifted him up, and then sat on his chest. And then, next thing I know, Kerry Clark grabbed him. Yeah. Did you get any shots in? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, Shark, Sharky did what Sharky had to do. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, you say stupid and stupid things. It was just, it was one of those things, I mean, it was a good hockey game. It's over. Leave it. But him sticking his tongue out, I don't know. I was stupid. Surprisingly enough, as a pro, that's not a suspendable offense. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got we got two more seasons. We're going to try to breeze through here because we got to get to some serious stuff. So you signed with Vegas. Now, when you signed with them, did you know that was going to be the final season at that point, or not yet? Not yet. Okay, so that hadn't come out yet. No. Okay. No, and that was again Bob Strom called. Yeah. Now. You, it was him or it was me or Mick Vakota. Oh, is that right? That's what he told me. He was either going to sign me or Mick. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, and Mick ended up in Utah that year, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So, as I think I was, the, what's that? I was cheaper. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> now, that team you played on, this is you. You've, we've already discussed you played on some tough teams. So I'm going to rattle off some of the guys you played with there just so the people understand. So everybody knows Kevin Kaminsky. Everybody knows Louis DeBrusque. A lot of people will know Brad Miller from his days with Buffalo. Okay, uh, Sammy Hellenius, who played with uh, Calgary uh, in Dallas, I believe. Um, you got Andre Shrubko, uh, Peter Zerba, Keith McCambridge had some games with Calgary, I believe. And at various times that year, you had a kid named Luch Nassau, Chad Wagner, Phil Crow, uh, Lorne Taves, and did I read this right that Michelle Petit played some games down there that year? Yeah. That's a pretty physical bunch you got there. Yeah, same with Brad Isbister. And... I thought Izzy yeah. was more of a bluff, to be honest with you. I don't know. Whenever he showed up... Uh... What's that actor who's in the, the movie with the figure skater and the hockey player? Oh, God, I don't know. I know the movie, but I don't know. The Cutting Edge or whatever. Oh, name. is it the guy that played um, Shoeless Joe? Is that that actor? Yes. Okay, so I kn so we know the actor even if we can't know his name. Yeah, he, he showed up uh, 
he would sh- whatever Isbister was there, they meet out after the game. Oh, I'm sure yeah. Isbister played ten feet tall with the guys on the team here. I mean, I could play with you guys. <laughs> you know. Hey. Did you tell everybody that you were offered a contract when you came to San Diego? No, that was not. That was unofficial. I never tell that story because uh, it was only. Uh, now, we never told well, dollars. That was awesome. Hey, Dean, who's your buddy? Well, yeah, Joe. Can he skate? Yeah, I, I looked the part because I had the mullet and the size. But then, with that was the breaking. That was the thing. Can he skate? Uh, no. So, oh, I was I was trying to be your agent. I was going to get you suited up, and you can just lean on the boards and warm up. Yeah, I could have done that. That was probably about it. So uh, no, I don't. T- I don't tell that to people. You know, I don't. There's nothing interesting about me. But um, yeah, whatever. So when we talked about the the teams you played with earlier, like Springfield and CDI, a lot of you had tough teams, but you guys were all young. So now you guys, you got a lot of veteran guys on this team, a lot of veteran tough guys. So. It's a different dynamic. It's the same dynamic where you got a bunch of tough players, but is it kind of like a, a fun thing where you guys have all been through the wars and you're in the locker room and you kind of just go and all right, we're going to do this tonight, we're going to do that tonight. Is that is that the kind of locker room it was where you know you're sitting next to Killer maybe or Louis DeBrusque or Brad Miller, and then over the course of the season maybe Wags is here for a game, Taves is here. Like what kind of locker room was that? It was different. It wasn't the tight knit. I mean, I have to say that the junior teams I played on had way tighter knit locker rooms than most of the pro ones I played for. Okay. Um, as I got farther in my career, I noticed that the maybe it's just a newer generation. I mean, I sound like a really old guy saying that now. Um, they didn't want to look out for each other. Everyone was a threat. Okay. If that makes any sense. It does, but even in Vegas at that time where you guys were all kind of established? Yeah, but there was so much turmoil because we had a lot of those guys because some of them were holdouts. Like, we had Peter Nedved. Yeah. So he came down as a holdout. You had guys with Phoenix. And then... They got pulled out when Phoenix pulled their affiliation. So then you had to put a whole new team together. Okay. I mean, it was really, it was really kind of weird. Okay. And, and that's a tough thing for Strummer to deal with as yeah. a GM. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I expected it to be a closer team. I, I don't know if it was, and that might have just been me too. So. What about with the so, physical guys? What about with the tough guys, though? Oh, we all got one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because honestly, I couldn't give a shit about Peter Nedved. You know, I, I don't really care. It's really like, you know, you and Killer and those guys. You know, uh, like I said, you know, being able to come and visit you there, and I met a bunch of the guys, and uh, I obviously already know Killer and uh, and Sammy, but meeting guys like Wags and Tavesy, uh, that was a blast. And it seemed like as far as the physical guys went, you guys seemed to all get along. Plus you had... Uh, Bob Bourne was the coach, and I think Buskis was the assistant, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, I mean, it was all, I think we were a way better hockey team than we showed. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I don't know what we were, I think a, a lot of the turmoil uh, with the, like, because we had, uh, what, 
was his name? Daniel Briere there for a while as a player. Yeah. So you have these really good players that they're counting on, and we're doing well, and then all of a sudden Phoenix pulls their guys out. Well, that's half your team. Yeah. Now you're trying to put, you know, a team together. Um, so you, you just – Warren's a way better coach than the record that we had for him shows. Yeah. What's it like playing for a team that you know is going to fold? That was tough. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's one of those things you put your – you do what you can do. Yeah. I mean um, – it's one of the first times I started thinking, am I really going to play next year? Yeah. You know, because I still had, uh, when I had a compound fracture in my thumb that year. Mm-hmm. Like, snapped the bone right out of my thumb. And played and fought with a cast on, trying to know how long. Yeah. Uh, which was tough. I mean... So you, you you get tired of being hurt all the time. I hear you. So the fight that you had with Red Trombley, that when it was over, and you kind of saluted the crowd, was uh, yeah. was that spontaneous, or did you did you want to do that at some point, or did it just happen? It just happened. Yeah. It, they had been there. Are people in Vegas have been very very nice. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that, I I loved it. I loved, I thought it was great. Yeah, they they treated us very well. Uh, people there bent over backwards all the time that you would hear. You can't have a professional hockey team in Vegas or a professional sports team in Vegas. They're wrong. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, the people the people who who live there all the time they take pride in their city. Yeah, and they made every one of us feel very welcome mm-hmm. now you got to get the right guys you can't like we we had a few guys who were out at the bar too much or out at the casino but yeah. they, they'd have to get shipped out or you'd get in trouble yeah um so you did play one more year and uh if you went to the west coast league play with colorado pro- that's probably the premier team the the go-to destination in that league i would think at that point i mean san diego's nice but Colorado Springs is real nice, but do I remember correctly where you actually had a chance to play for an old coach in the American League again? Well, it was an old coach in the International League who is now coaching a team in the American League. Well, the first call I got was, uh, I think it was from Chinny, Dean Chanel. He was coaching Utah, I believe, Salt Lake. He was assistant coach. Assistant coach, but he called an athlete. They were going to play up in Kansas City, and he wanted to know if I wanted to sign a contract with him and come back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said no. Mm-hmm. Um, I was good. Yeah. I was. I mean, uh, then I got uh, what was it? George LaRock got hurt. Yeah. And they called. Can't remember the guy's name up from Edmonton's farm team. Uh, Labrie or something like that. Well, mm. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, it's just not... I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so they called their American League fight and uh, Walt Kyle called. Yeah, your coach from San Diego. Yeah. Uh, and asked if I wanted to sign there and it would be a contract that would include 
some games up in National High. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, I knew I was done. And that was the first year I was I didn't have my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So and I didn't I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I said I'm done. I'm gonna. I mean, unless I could have my family with me, my kids, then I wasn't gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And then I just never signed it. I mean, I I had the opportunity to. San Diego called me for the next year. Anchorage called me, and I just said, no. Yeah. That was I was that was it. Yeah. So ironically, you were done, but that last year in the West Coast League, and you ended up fighting a lot of guys that you had fought before, like a Barry Potomsky. Um, I think Greg Spenrath was there. Uh, Craig Martin. So there were a, there were it was a tough league. I mean, it, it, even though people may not be too familiar with it, that was a very tough league, and you managed to lead in penalty minutes. I went down there, and I just wanted to play. <laughs> it didn't work out that way, did it? No, I was <laughs> the same guys I've been fighting all the other times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go up and down your card, and it's, it's like I said, it's guys you fought in the Western League or guys you fought in the IHL and everything. So the whole point of you going down there to play, uh, that, I mean, you played, but you also had to fight a little bit. And like I said, you led the league in PIMS. You did have 24 points, though, so you did get some points. As a defenseman? Well, Bobby Orr was a defenseman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's going to confuse me and Bobby Orr. Wow. So that is, uh, that's your career. Again, thank you for... Um, for staying with me this long, but we do have to talk about something serious. Um, everybody knows, or if they didn't know, they know by now that your brother was Todd Ewan, and Todd had a very nice NHL career, Stanley Cup champion, good guy and everything. Um, Todd seems to be coming up in the news a lot because he unfortunately uh, he passed away, and he seems to be one of these one of the guys that um, gets brought up a lot with Wade Belak and. Um, uh, Ridden and um, Steve Monador and everything, and it bugs me a little bit because it's people that are bringing him up really are, are people that didn't really have much use for Todd as a player. Never really wrote about him or anything, but now because they want to push an agenda, they don't have a problem. Todd you and Todd you and Todd you and um, I fortunately have never lost a sibling. Um, I've never lost a parent. I mean, I can't imagine the devastation when you get the phone call. And, um, I mean, what's it, it's stupid to say what's that like, but, I mean, what do you do when you get the call? Uh, if you want to talk about it, you don't have to, I, I, you know. Um, well, you know I've never talked about it, ever. Right, and you don't have to now. Uh, with you, I will. Yeah, okay. Um, it's one of those things I don't think I've actually dealt with it yet. Uh, when something like this happens, everyone else falls apart. And someone can't. And I couldn't. So, uh, the hardest part was the next... Well, first, it was trying to figure out what happened. 
um, why the question that'll never be answered is why. Uh, but you try and keep going through the noise, and uh, like I said, everyone else had the ability to, to lose it. And I have to say that the outpouring of support from a lot of the guys that you've talked about with me today um, in that small community, that hockey community, guys who I hadn't talked to in years, uh, it meant a lot for all of them to call and, and give their condolences and, and, and their thoughts. It, it meant a lot. Um, so I'd like to say thank you to them. Uh, if you want to talk about the subject itself, it's hard. I think you have to differentiate two things. There's, is CTE real? Because people like to push that. Do I believe there's an effect? Absolutely. Uh, do I discount feelings that current and former players have had? No, I don't in any way, shape, or form. I've sat down with players who I'm not going to name, but we you have discussions about the difference that you feel. Uh, you yourself, you know through talking to all of us that if you score 50 goals and you get your bell rung, you go to the doctor. If you're a fighter and you get your bell rung, get out the next shift and do it again. Yeah. Uh, so there's a cumulative effect, I think, that comes with that. And I'm not saying that, the, you know, I'm not passing judgment on fighting. I'm not doing that either. I'm just saying that there is an effect and Batman needs to shut his mouth. Uh, I don't like him using Todd. In the other part of that, I we have no use because I know more about Todd's life than any of these people. I don't like seeing his ex his widow playing a victim card at all. She needs to be quiet. There are some serious people with serious problems and she isn't the one who should be leading that discussion. One of the... I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, one of the things that we discussed that bothers me and keep in mind when I say bother, it's relative compared to what you're going through. One of the things, and I got into it, and I don't want to say the writer because I'm not 100% positive. There was a writer who did this big expose on Todd and everything like that. And when it came out, the article got a lot of, a lot of publicity. And you were not in the article. And I remember going on Twitter and saying, did you speak to everybody you could have possibly spoken to? And he said, absolutely. I said, I don't think you did. And he goes, I absolutely did. I did my due diligence. I did it. I go, yeah, I don't think you did. And he goes, well, who, who did I miss? And I go, a simple Google search will tell you who you missed. Because the name is Ewan. And Todd Ewan was an enforcer. So was his brother, Dean. Same last name, same job. Yet somehow, you seem to be left out of all of this coverage of Todd. And that's always bothered me because to me, Journalism 101 or, you know, uh, Broadcast Media 101 
how are you not involved in this? You did the same job. You, you, you know, you're, what are you guys, two years apart, three years apart? And it bothers me to the point where I'm going, well, wait, how do you not interview the brother who did the same job? You're nowhere to be found. And that's something that I have a hard time reconciling. Well, and, I, and you know that from these discussions that you and I have had privately, I, uh, I have no desire to be anywhere near a, a spotlight. Um, my biggest concern was, I know for a fact, the I can't remember if it was the NHL or the NHLPA, asked a number of the retired players from the NHL to take a CAT scan. <clears throat> And they, Todd took one. And you would think, as everything that you just mentioned, the easiest thing to do would be same family, same genetic makeup, um, CAT scan my brain. You know, compare yeah. one to the other. Mm -hmm. Aside from being twins, you can't get a closer control um, and one of the hard parts I'm having is like when you have TV cameras at a, at a funeral that you're having up in Canada that want to film the proceedings um, not used to that uh, the fact that no one's actually they're, they're, I hear his his widow talk about how he was a manic depressive and painting him as this weak guy he wasn't weak he was in some pain and there's a lot of stuff in his life that I'm not going to go to that needs to be looked at but I think it's a serious topic that needs serious discussion and I think the NHL needs to stop mentioning him and his widow needs to shut up and get up TV. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I first of all thank you for, you know, talking about it. I'm not going to go any further with it. Uh, and you know, like I say, you don't have any desire to be in front of the TV. The thing I always wondered is, are you not being asked for your comment because you may not fit the narrative that's trying to be pushed? I always wondered that because, like you say, you do know certain things that have not been made public. And if you were to talk, which I don't think you ever would, but if you were to talk, it would kind of destroy certain narratives that are being thrown out there. Well, and that's that's the thing. There <clears throat> are there issues that need to be dealt with. Absolutely. Uh, are there people? I mean, one of the things that that this would all tie into: how many players have had a concussion? And once you get the goal scorer, you don't get you don't get the medical treatment that you're supposed to, or they pump you. I remember being given just so I could play. I broke my back a month later. Was in the playoffs. They broke me up, and that's the way it goes. And then you see a lot of these players come. The residual effects of that. Is guys who have to self-medicate when they're done, plus dealing with the... And we're all different. Does head trauma have an impact? 
yeah, I think it does. And I think it's something needs to be looked into, but I think we have, I'd like to separate that from what happened to Todd. I think with certain people, and I'm going to say certain members of the media, because they're pushing the whole CTE thing, the whole TE thing, and just based on conversations I've had with other players who've had concussion issues and everything, and I've had a couple of people actually say to me, people that want to talk to me about CTE, they never ask me about other factors going on in my life. They don't want to know what's going on at home. They don't want to know if I'm having issues with my family, um, any number of things. You know, they said all they're worried about is pushing the CTE narrative. And, you know, it, nothing is ever just black and white, especially when you're dealing with adults that have children and, you know, I could be having a great day and people might see me and say, oh, he's got a smile on his face. But on the inside, I could be having just turmoil because maybe things at home aren't any good. And I just think that the frustrating thing for me as a fan of, of combat sports, of sports like hockey and football is I, I totally understand CTE. The, the three letters are going to, it's going to be headlines and everything else. But there's always other factors. There's always home life or professional life or whatever. And I just I haven't seen that. All I keep seeing is CTE, CTE, CTE. But no one ever wants to dig deeper in terms of, well, how are things at home or how are things on the job? And, you know, as a fan, that's very frustrating. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough to sit back and look at it. I mean, I, like I stated before, I'm not going to discount anything that a player says it because I'll be honest, I, I know the effects that getting punched in the head a lot. Or, I'll be honest, most most of the problems that I've had, I remember games <clears throat> where I know I've had a concussion from a hit, and you don't miss a shift, but I can't remember the game. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a factor that needs to be looked at. I think the manner in which they treat it and uh, certain players are given, you know, they get a hangnail and they're in full traction. And But your edge players, you, you want to keep your job so you're not going to make, because, you know, what was the famous quote? You can't make a team from the training room. Yeah. You never want to be You never want to lose. You never want to show that you're hurt. Yeah. Um, and then it's the transition that players have from being a player to not. It can make you more agitated. It can, the forgetfulness, the inability sometimes to connect the dots. It's a factor. I just think for a serious discussion where you want to, and it's got to be a nuanced one, um, there's far better people than Todd's widow the, with legitimate things to say she is just going to do nothing but but take away attention from a serious issue the players and that are real people have to deal so she needs to shut up and Batman needs to shut up about Todd because they're both using them to their own end you're the only one that I'll talk to because you know how many times I've refused to do stuff. Yeah, no, I know, I know, and I, uh, I mean, it means a lot to me, and and uh, I appreciate that. And 
uh, hopefully you feel a little better getting some of this stuff out. I mean, I, I know there's plenty more that you can say that you're not going to, and I respect that. I, I hope you feel a little bit better with that. Um, so I guess as far as, uh, I mean, I think we've discussed every single day of your life so far on this. We've been speaking now <laughs> for, I think, 27 hours. So did I, uh, did I miss anything in your career or anything that you want to talk about? Well, there was this one time I freaked out because I'm laying in bed with my wonderful wife and we're laying here and we something comes on TV and there's talking about this accident, this massive tragedy in New York. Oh, and fuck. I coming out on a stretcher and <sighs> Val said, hey, is that Joe? I and I oh, shit, that's Joe. Mm. And so then I call, and you're in the hospital, and you don't even tell me? Yeah, I, they took my phone away. You couldn't take that knife out of your head and call me? I mean, well, come on. it's like, um... An aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, if, see, you don't listen, because I asked about your career, not anything that has to do with me. And that's twice you brought me up, so... I had to see my my, my brother coming yeah. up on national television on a stretcher. I was pretty pissed off. Well, I guess because I never I had never done anything significant before, and, and uh, like I lived vicariously through you, I wanted to try to upstage you. <laughs> so maybe that was well, it. Good shot. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, I, you know what? I'm just lucky that I'm here to talk to you about it. So, uh, someone's looking o uh, uh, over me that day. But this is not about me. Uh, this is not the Joe story. This is uh, this is your life, Dean Ewan. Yeah, this is this is the Joe cast. No, yeah, it's nothing. But but all right. Joe. So get back to my question. Did I forget anything? Get that? It's not just the Joe cast. It's yeah. the Joe cast. Yes, I got that. I got that. You're funny. Other than my serious gift game, I'm yeah. Good. No, yeah, you definitely have that. Um, it's actually it actually makes me happy. I switched to a smartphone. So, but anyway, you have to get up for work in about five hours, I think. Um, and I cannot tell you how much this means to me that you took all this time to speak to me. And uh, I think I set the bar pretty high for guests on uh, on this debut episode with with a guest. I mean, the episodes that I just yammer on aren't going to be worth anything. But uh, where can I buy this? Where can you what? Purchase this. Oh no, it's free. I don't charge for this content. I'm uh, there's no paywall here. It's uh, it's going to all be free. Um, that is such a nice thing for you to do. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm I'm uh, I'm charitable, and uh, no, and listen, you know what's funny on a serious on a serious note along these lines, because you you know you follow hockey more than I do, and I you know I follow mostly the Islanders, and you know nowadays with the enforcers getting shit on every day, and the bloggers and the Corsi clowns and everyone else shitting on the enforcers, uh, I feel like I, I just want to give. You know, there's a bunch of podcasts out there, Five for Fighting and Forkline Voice, um, The Biscuit. There's a bunch of podcasts out there with guys like me that support you guys and want to give you guys a voice because you get these nerds that um, are going to be critical of every single thing that's done. Like, we got people here even on the island that are critical of Ross Johnston, and it's just, it just drives me crazy. So um, we got to get, uh, we're a small army of people, but we got loud voices, and uh, we don't take shit, so... 
we're just gonna we're gonna uh, you know push on and and uh, salute did a did the toughest job in sports. So I'm happy to be the conduit uh, to the public for guys that did it for the Islanders and the Islander organization. So it's uh, it's my small way of giving back because who needs to hear about I scored 92 goals in a season? What what could Wayne Gretzky possibly tell you that uh, would talk you know your stories? You know what Wayne Gretzky would tell you? What? The thing. When I got traded to the the L.A. Kings, I made sure that Marty McSorley was right with me. Yeah, yeah, he would tell you that. Absolutely, he would. Hollywood would say the same thing. Well, Brett, because of Tony Twist and Kelly Chase. The, the thing about Brett Hall that I love, aside from the fact that after the Stanley Cup celebration, he seems like a hell of a guy to party with, um, he will tell you till you're blue, till he's blue in the face the contributions that Tony Twist had on his career and Kelly Chase and Darren Kimball, uh, you know, Rudy Poshek, Reed Lowe, the guys that did that job, um, what they meant to his career. And he doesn't have to do that, and it's good because, you know, Brett's very loquacious and he's always out there, and I think it's great that he does it. Um, but, it, you know, to hear it from someone like me, I'm a ham and egger, but if you hear it from Brett Hall or Wayne Gretzky, that means something. Yeah, they were actually some of the nicest guys. Yeah. I mean... And can you imagine with today's rules, if you took, and let's not even say a guy like Bob Gruber who could play, yeah. or Joey Coates who could play, or Brad May who could play. You take a guy like Sean Antosky. First round who pick. Could, who could skate. Yeah. He would terrorize this league. Oh, yeah. A guy that size would skate. Well, even Todd. Listen, Todd was a great skater. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, Antosky's a good example because first round pick, he could skate. And, you know, he's a monster. And he played with an attitude. Now, he was, he was, a, he was a heavy at the time. Yeah. His career was cut short. But yeah. in this day and age, come on. Well, in this he's day a, and age. He's a $5 million a year player. Yeah, but then he'd do something and, uh, you know, people would see. So you don't know this because you're not on Twitter. But whenever something happens, the, the nerds, what they do is, is they uh, they get the video highlight and they tag the NHL player safety like the NHL player safety is not aware of the incident, but you know this is the this is the uh, the world that we live in now where no one wants to hold anyone accountable. They just want to tell on someone. So Antoski probably be in jail for a check or something. Is that a thing? They actually do that? It's uh, dude, you don't even. You know. Know, I don't do social media, so yeah. I have no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. Like. Uh, the, the, did you see the thing the other night with um, Thornton and Morazic, the goalie for Carolina? Yeah, I, I saw that at, at their next practice, yeah. Carolina drew a body outline. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So what happens is, what, what you know, because everyone, no one knows about accountability anymore. It's all about telling. It's like, you know, I'm going to tell on you. So what they do is uh, NHL player safety has their own account on Twitter. So what they do is they, they take the incident, and it's something called a retweet, where you take the original tweet, and you, it's almost like a forward of an email, and then you put in the NHL player safety. Uh, because obviously the NHL player safety has no idea what's going on, but the culture that we live in now where you know you don't handle things on your own, you wait and you tell on someone, so they just tag NHL safety. They probably get 300 to 500 uh, of the same tweets every time something happens, 
And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a culture of telling on people. You can't you can't handle things on your own anymore. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not on social. Yeah, you wouldn't do well. I I you well, it depends. I do okay on it because I don't argue. But I have friends that are, are very similar to me, and they love to argue with these people. I just don't do it. Like I. Even when everything happened with Don Cherry, I, I put what I felt, but I didn't argue with anyone, and I got called OK Boomer a hundred times, which I consider a compliment. But, um, but yeah, that's that's the thing now. But uh, you're not yeah, missing I much. You explained it to me before. I don't. I don't know. It, what what happens is when you argue with a millennial and they don't have anything to say, that's what they fire back with OK Boomer, and they think it's an insult. But I wouldn't trade my life for well, not my life, but I, I could always use more money, but. I would, you know, my life experiences have made me who I am. So if someone calls me boomer, I take it as a compliment. I say that's like calling me a great dad or a great husband. Okay, no problem. I don't know. That's like saying uh, that's offensive. Yeah. Uh, you say that, I'm still waiting for your argument. Yeah. It doesn't constitute, like, okay, boomer, read a book. Mm -hmm. You know, you give me an opinion. Okay, yeah. What? No. Anyway, I, got, I got something that you could we could do. When people get this, and when you talk to Dean Chanel, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. the holy grail of fight tapes. Oh, I'm going to bring that up with him. Yeah, he doesn't he, have it anymore. No, they lent it out to someone, yeah. and the person never. So we need to scour the planet for the <laughs> holy grail of fight tapes. For those who don't know, the holy grail is Dean Chanel's dad was the president of the Western Hockey. So every time in the Wild West that Joe was talking about, there was a suspendable offense is on this tape. So the stick swinging incident with Tenorti, uh, the fights in the penalty box, the going in the stands, all that, that's on one tape. Yeah, it's somewhere. Somewhere someone's got the Holy Grail, and I would love oh. to see that. Yeah, if it was nowadays, I would say someone probably taped a soap opera over it with the way things are going, but I don't know. I think it's a lost cause. Trust me, I, I asked Dean about that probably every other year, and uh, he doesn't have it. I wish he did. That would be something to see. Well, someone somewhere has it. Yeah. Well, well I've, I think what we have to do is just scour uh, where, I mean, if you saw it. and millions of followers to scour the planet. When you say I have millions of followers and I tell millions. people that you're smart, that doesn't bode well because I only have like a few thousand. All right, I, I have none. So. Well, you don't have an account, <laughs> so, so you don't have any. And listen, because I I was ready to end this 15 minutes ago. You're the one that keeps talking, so I don't want to hear it tomorrow if you're tired. Okay. <laughs> so listen. <laughs> Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for coming on. Um, I don't. I don't think any of the other interviews I have are, are going to uh, end the way this one did. Uh, that was some pretty serious stuff, and uh, I can't thank you enough for opening up. And uh, I'm sure the people that are listening appreciate. Well, some of them may not, but uh, I think most of the people will appreciate uh, your insights, and uh, I appreciate all the stories about your career. So, um, and you know how much I don't like talking. I know. I know. I know that's why I, I for me to say I appreciate you opening up I think if people are hearing that they think it's just a general thank you but I know 
I know how much you don't like talking about it, and that's why before you started talking about it, I gave you that out saying you didn't have to talk about it. So uh, I appreciate it, and um, you know, like I said, I anything that comes out with your brother's name on it, I I, I read, um, and I'm always waiting to see your name because obviously due diligence would dictate that you get the brother in there that did the same job, and I've yet to see it. So you know, you don't fit the narrative. No, I don't. No. But, but hopefully, justice. I gotta hope karma works. Oh God, I say that every day. I'm waiting for karma. I'm waiting for some comeuppance from karma. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming on. Go to bed. All right. All See right. you, bud. See you, man. Thank you. No problem. All right. Bye.